Well, good morning. Welcome to Mariner's Church. Thank you all for coming and being part of today. My name is Paul. I am one of the pastors here, and it is terrific to see a beautiful day outside. Isn't it great? God's given us a bunch of good ones, and, and uh, thank you for taking time out of your day uh, to come here. And uh, I hope your lives are touched. I hope your closeness with God begins to uh, um, um, get better and, and better and better. Hey, um, up on the, on the stage next to me is a white rose. Um, this is indicative of somebody who last Sunday actually um, said for the very first time, I really understand everything that Jesus did for me, and I'm going to invite him to become my savior personally for me. And so let's thank, uh, thank you for that. So yeah, yeah. So that's what's important um, to us is to connect people to God through his son Jesus to experience the life and the grace. And, and, then, and then the life change that happens um, um, with that. And, and lives do change, and, and it is really, really good. Hey, let's take a second and pray. Can we pray together? So, Lord, thank you now for the moments that we have now. And I pray you'd give me the words that you would want. And I pray for um, our lives to be better because of what you do. So we thank you now for this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Hey, we're in a series that we are calling Beating the Giants in My Life. And we're talking about what it means to take out those things that are around us that kind of try and intimidate us and, and freak us out. Our whole year is hope, and, and, and the word behind me, Esperanza, is, is there. And we are actually looking for this entire year about how hope makes a difference in our world and in our life. Now, now, hope is not, and a lot of times we just kind of throw out the word hope. You know, I hope the sun comes out today, or I hope the traffic's not too bad. That's not what real hope is. I mean, that's kind of like wimpy hope, or I will just simply call it a, a wish. When you can inter- interchange wish and hope, that's, that's not what God would use when he's talking about hope. Hope is so much bigger than that. Hope is having the confidence that God's in control of life, and he's in control of my life. And no matter what happens, whether it's good or bad, he's in charge, and I'm going to be okay. That's what it is. It's called, as the Bible would talk about it, a living hope. It's something you live with, that no matter what I'm going through, the the ups or the downs, that God's in charge of this thing, and it's going to be okay, and it will work itself out, whether it's homework or whether it's out of work or out of sorts or sorting out problems. All of those things, God's in control of life and my life. And in order to kind of look at that, we're, we're, we're looking at the life of a guy in the Bible whose name was David. And yeah, that's a common, common name in the Bible, David. We all know kind of about who that guy is. He's the one that beat the giant, okay? David and the giant, one of the most, most popular stories of all in the Bible. But there's a lot more than that, and there's a lot of things that happened in his life. And this is what we would like to look at as God would mold him and God would shape him and God would bring him through the ups and downs um, and he was able to actually keep his hope. Now, David's story is in the Old Testament and because it's in the Old Testament, it's going to kind of revolve around his experience with the nation of Israel because that's what the Old Testament kind of talks about. God establishing a people and making all these promises for them, and particularly as it leads up to when Jesus came out of Israel. And, 
And David had just, where we pick up the story, David had just killed Goliath. You know, yay, killed Goliath, you know, the giant's gone, all that kind of stuff. And the army now, after the, after the war, is, they're coming back. They're marching into the city, you know. Here, here they come in. It says, when the victorious Israelite army was returning home after David had killed the Philistine, women from all the towns of Israel came out to meet King Saul. And they sang and they danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. Okay, you got it? Okay, big parade, you know, music, all that kind of stuff. It's all, it's all, it's all, it's all going on. It says this was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. Now, Saul is the king, okay? He's the guy in charge and you're supposed to put yourself in his shoes, sandals. Birkenstocks, whatever, whatever. So put yourself, so put all those kind. And and you're walking in, and you're hearing all this parade stuff going on, the throwing confetti. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Saul, you've killed your thousands. It feels really good. David killed his ten thousands, and you stop. You know, it's like, wait a second. You know, this isn't the way they're supposed to be singing. This isn't the right song. I like the first verse of that song, but I sure don't like the second one. It says this made Saul very angry. What's this, he said? They've credited David with 10,000 and me with only 1,000. Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. And here it comes. But one day when Saul was sitting at home with spear in hand, the tormenting spirit from the Lord suddenly came upon him again as David played his harp, okay? They're kind of doing kingly stuff, you know, in the big king's throne room, and, and David's there, and you, you can read the details uh, of the story because there's other things going on, but it's kind of a family scene at first, you know. Saul's at home kind of doing a manly thing, you know. He's just sitting there with a spear, you know, just <laughs> what guys, I guess, should do once in a while. I don't know. He's sitting there with his spear, and, and David's on the other side of the room, and, he, and, he, and he's picking it at, at his guitar, you know, uh, I've done archaeological research on that, and he was playing "Ramblin' Man" by Greg Allman, the best song of ever. So he's, play, he's playing that, and 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 it goes on to say, "And Saul hurled his spear at David." Now it's not because of the song, because "Ramblin' Man's a really good song. Okay, he didn't do it because of of, of that. He did it because all this jealousy and anger, you know, was there. It says, but David, you know, dodged out of the way, you know, boing, you know, the thing goes. And leaving the spear stuck in the wall, he fled and escaped into the night, okay? Now, you can kind of begin to grasp the dynamics of things that are going on. David takes off, and he's going to head out into the wilderness. And, and if you've ever been in, into the Mideast, you know that the wilderness, it's not like forests and trees and brooks and streams. It's, it's what? It's desert. It's dry, okay? There's not a lot there. And there's kind of a lot of rolling hills that are there, but they're all dry and they're all deserty and there's little kind of canyons and there's a lot of rocks and rock formations and a lot of caves and, and things like that. But there's just not a lot out there. And this is where David goes. He's on the run, you know? He's a fugitive. And Saul's army is going to start chasing after him. And, 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 and as you read through for Samuel, it's kind of like a, a back and forth type thing. Have you ever seen those comedy things where, where you see a long hallway and there's all these doors in them and like one guy runs out of this door and the other guy runs out of this door and this one is, and this is kind of the way it's been going, it goes on for several years, you know, David goes this way, Saul goes this way, this way, and then they meet and they, you know, both go back, back and forth. And, and so, so this is what's been happening here. Now, now. 
Have you ever wished that the problems in your life were directly related to how close you are to God at a particular time? Let me explain that. You know, you can kind of know how you're doing with God because sometimes we say, God, how am I doing with you? How am I doing with you? And you can begin to figure it out like, like on how badly your face breaks out. You know, you know, if the better you do, the, the better your complexion is and the worse you do, you know, the worse your complexion is. Or maybe, you know, if I'm really being living my life for God, I'll get better gas mileage. Have you ever thought of that, that kind of stuff? And you can kind of tell on, on, on how your life is doing or your chances of winning the lotto megabucks goes up if you read the Bible more. I mean, don't you kind of think that's the way it should be? You know, the more I'm obedient to God, the more my life is going to take these all of a sudden these little funny little turns. You've got to understand that David has done nothing wrong in life. None. Nothing. He's done nothing wrong here. And where is he? He's stuck in the desert being chased around. You know, he's, he's, he's on the run. He, and, and that's where he is. And all he has done has been faithful to God. Killed the giant, had a heart for God, served people, and he almost gets shish by Saul's spear, and now he's in the middle of nowhere. And we have to begin to understand, because I, I want to talk a little bit about circumstances in, in, in a few moments. Circumstances are not necessarily indicative on how you're doing in your life with God. They're just simply not. Sometimes life is just life, and sometimes there's going to be people that just don't like you, and sometimes things are just not going to go well. And there's a reality for us here, and, and, and it goes something like this. David's stuck out in the, in the desert, and, and I just want you to take note of this. Everybody who has anything to do with God will spend time in a wilderness. Okay, Anybody that has ever had anything to do with God will at some point in time spend time in a wilderness. And some of you are nodding and saying, yeah, I understand that. Yeah, I, 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 I get it. And you're thinking, as you're considering this life with God, you're thinking, well, that doesn't sound very exciting. It's just simply a reality of life. You make this decision to follow God, to connect with Jesus as your Savior, and at some point in time, you're going to go through a wilderness point. It's just going to be a wilderness time. A time when you feel like life just kind of hit the flats, you know, there's just nothing there but a dry desert, dried up lake bed. Or it seemed like sometimes even that life was easier or better before I got God into my life. Or people started to go against you and you begin to wonder if this is really a better life or things begin to get dry. And sometimes we'll talk about spiritual dryness. I don't, I don't know if, if that's a, a concept. You should, but sometimes when you pray, you feel like your prayers go about what? About ceiling height. They smack against the ceiling and bounce back down at you and they go, they go nowhere. You know, or or you feel like like when you read the Bible, it's like it's like reading the phone book. Remember those? You know, it's like reading the phone book. You know, it's just it's just there's just it's just nothing there. It's not speaking to you. Problems begin to happen, and you just feel like God, where are you? You know what's what's going on here? You know, you you come here, and the and the the music or the worship just seems flat to you and you got nothing going on in your heart. It's just dry. It's just a dry point in, in, in time. And, and you know, you, you, you got to understand, David is out there not on his own choice. He didn't go out there to get his tan on. 
Okay, that's not why he's out there in, in the desert, you know, to paint pictures of the wildflowers. Now, now, we ask the question, why do we sometimes go through these wilderness experiences in life? And, and you're smart people, and you already are guessing why this is, and you already understand some components of this one, partly because God wants to see how sincere your commitment to him really is. I mean, partly that's why. God wants to see how sincere it really is. In one sense, what God is saying is, I want to teach you and help you understand, don't just love me in the good times. You know, you can love me in the dry times too. I'm still there. And partly, it's to shape your character, and it's partly to shape your life. And it's partly to teach you things that no other place could teach you. Sometimes the only place that you can learn certain things would be in the desert or in the, in the wilderness, or in the dry times. There are some things you can only learn there. Um, some of the songs we sing, actually they come from the Bible book of Psalms. Psalm means song, and many of the psalms or the songs were written by who? By David. And many of them were written where? In the desert, in the wilderness. He wrote many of them there. And sometimes those songs that we sing that, that mean something to us now or, or speak to us now is because he was going through a wilderness experience. And there's some concepts that actually come up that we would, I guess we would cling, cling to. For instance, we will sometimes sing, you know, God, you are my hiding place, hiding place, hiding place. And, and if you're not kind of familiar with that, with that term, it's like, why would I want God to be a hiding place? I shouldn't be hiding from the world. But if you're being chased by about 3,000 angry soldiers that want to kill your life, you want a what? You want a hiding place. And a hiding place is a good thing. And so the Bible would say, you are my hiding place. That's the song of David in the desert. Another is refuge, a refuge. He would say, guard my life and rescue me. Let me be not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. That's a concept. And all of a sudden in the Bible, we find refuge not being a place. Refuge starts to become a what? A person, and that's God. And then the term rock. In you, O Lord, I've taken refuge. Let me be never put to shame. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. And those become very important things to be able to say, I, I don't need soft sand that's slipping out of my feet. I need a rock to hang on to. And so David's learning to trust God. He's learning to depend upon God. In the middle of the wilderness, a lot of the bad junky pride that kind of the arrogance that's there, God's breaking that down. And, and David would someday be doing a lot of great stuff, but it took a wilderness time to do that. It, it really, really did. So you could say not only was David running for his life, he was also running what? He was running to his life, to his life. You know, and David was a shepherd. His training was, you know, watching sheep walk around, you know. He was going to be king, and he knew it. Wilderness times sometimes take, and it almost sounds cliche-ish, they, they, they turn shepherds into kings, okay? They will turn you into what you were, into what God wants you to become. So hang on through the wilderness times. 
Okay, back to the story. And now it kind of gets a little bit fun, a little humorous here. David has his buddies with him. I mean, he, he's not alone. He's got a small group of guys that kind of have come out. And they don't like Saul very much, and they've decided to, to join David. And, and so there's a small army of people that are loyal to him. There is, decreed by Saul, an, an APB, you know, all-points bulletin, out for him. Saul wants him dead. He just wants him dead. He's got to get rid of David. And Saul is leading his army and gets intel. I just like saying intel. He gets intel. Okay, he gets intel. He gets intel that David is in this particular area. Okay, finally, you know, good, good. We got, we got hard intel on this one. Saul was told, <laughs> David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. 3,000 chosen men. They're not everyday soldiers. These are the best of the best. Okay, good guys. And they came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there. Now, the Bible is a real book, okay? It's, it's a real book, and it talks about real things. And, and when I was in junior high, when I read about this real thing, we always kind of laughed in the back row. It says, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Okay, he did. That's what Saul did. The Bible people took bio breaks as well as everybody else, okay? And Saul has to take a bio break. And so as they're walking along with 3,000 chosen men, you know, all of a sudden Saul says, hang on, guys, I got to go number two, you know. And when nature calls, you do what? You got to answer no matter where you are, okay? And, 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 and there was a cave there, which is a good place, you know, for, for him out of, out, of, out of sight. And so he goes into the cave, and it says this. David and his men were far back in the cave. I mean, they had spies. They saw the people coming. And so what they did is they went back to the deepest part of the cave. Now, now I can picture it even though I don't really want to picture it very, very much. Uh, two details. But David and his men are hiding, and Saul's men, you know, come marching by. And they just have to wait it out, and then they're going to, you know, they can go out and do their own, their, own, their own thing. But all of a sudden they see in the cave entrance, you know, the silhouette. There's a silhouette of a guy coming in. You know, like, shh, somebody's coming. You know, somebody's coming. You know so, so they get really, really quiet. You know, and they look because their eyes are adjusted to it, and they say, geez, it's Saul. You know, it's Saul. You know, what's he doing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, really? You know, our cave. And then, wait a second. Wait a second. It says this. Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. This is the, you know, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. You, you, you know, look, Saul's there. He's right there, right there, you know, right, right there. And, and you got to admit, Saul's in a pretty exposed position at this point in time. And you could say, God set this thing up. I mean, God has set it up perfectly. And so they encourage David crawls, you know, up. He's got a knife in his hand, you know, and he's crawling, knife in his hand, crawling closer and closer and, and, and closer on the cave floor. It says, so David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. And you want to say, say, what? You know, what? A piece of Saul's robe, a little piece, you know, a tiny little piece of that. And David crawls back, and he gets there, and the guys are looking at him, and David says, Here, I got it. I 
And they're saying, really? <laughs> I mean, really? Are you kidding me? And, and, and here's a principle of life. And this one's living, living for God. And when you're trying to determine, and particularly it deals with God's will, which we're always kind of trying to figure out what God's will is in our life. Circumstances, good or bad, rarely determine God's will and direction for me. Okay? I understand that. Circumstances, good or bad, rarely, rarely determine God's will and direction from me. They just aren't very good indicators of what God wants you to do. They're just not. Okay? And this is a very clear case of it. David's going to be king. He knows it. All right, he already knows it. And Saul is trying to kill him. He knows that too. And David just happens to be hiding in this cave. And out of all, you know, this is the Casablanca thing. You know, out of all the caves and all the hills and all of Judah, you know, Saul just happens to walk into mine. You know, it's just, it's just right there. All of them he could have gone into to do his thing. You know, to do his thing, he comes in to this one. You know, right there. And Saul has left all his armor outside. He's by himself. You know, no one, no one can hear him. You know, no one can hear him out there. And he's not in any position to fight whatsoever. He's pretty vulnerable. Vulnerable. Um, he's got nothing. And circumstances were absolutely perfectly lined up ten different ways for David to take him out. I mean, perfect. It was perfect. It doesn't get any more circumstantially perfect than this. But I just don't think circumstances are always that big a deal in determining God's will for your life. I just don't think they are. God's word is, the Bible is, and the principles that are given in the Bible on how to live your life and the choices that we're to make based on the principles of what living and what his values are for our life, that's important. That determines God's direction for your life. And wise people that understand those principles of life and living, when you get guidance and counsel from them, they determine it. But circumstances don't. Because we can sometimes play and read circumstances any single way we want them to go. Okay? We can think circumstances are directing me this way or that way. And I have heard people say, well, if God didn't want me to... You know, fill in the blank, you know, then why did he make it so that, 